0: To the Stalker and I podcast for single women considering Solar motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. For series three of the podcast, I've interviewed a variety of people who share their personal stories, providing a collection of different perspectives of paths to parenthood. In today's episode, I speak to Kate Sawyer, Solar mum to her daughter Ruby, freelancer and just published author of a new book, The Stranding. We talk all things freelance when you're a solo mum. Kate, thank you so much for saying that you'll be a guest on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. So I have lots of solo mums who are freelance who say that can I do this being freelance? Like That's one of my main concerns about you know, my job and my work and how I'm going to make it all work. So I'd really love to get into some of the detail on that with you, but before we delve in, it would be great if you could just give me a quick introduction to yourself.
1: Sure, um, my name's Kate Sawyer. I am an author published as of just a few days ago. Um, I am also a solo mum. My daughter is 18 months old and other jobs that I have done up to being an author is that I trained as an actor, worked as an actor, had a health food shop which I was the chef for, the events coordinator for, the. I wrote the blog and the e-newsletter, worked in the shop, did a bit of training as a nutritionist. Alongside my acting career. And then when the shop closed, I went full time into events. Well, not entirely full time because I was still doing some acting. But yeah, that gives you a picture of. Wow, (laughs) a real variety. Yeah. But I suppose the headline for this podcast is I'm pretty freelance and I've got an 18 month old uh, as a solo mum.
0: Brilliant. And what's the new book about?
1: Yeah, sure. So my new book is called The Stranding and it is about a woman who survives the end of the world by hiding inside a whale, which makes it sound as though it's sci-fi, and it really isn't. It's two strands, one set before the end of the world, so now in a world that we would all very much uh, recognise, and then one afterwards. And it's about contrast and comparison, about privilege and, the way that we live now and whether what the good things are what the little pleasures are that we take for granted but also perhaps how some of the things that some of the ways we live are taking us away from what really makes us happy so that's the thing wow. and essentially it's a love story oh because, okay <laughs> <yeah. laughs> cuz <'Cause> why not <laughs> yeah. brilliant
0: oh it sounds fascinating right. and how how long did it take you to write
1: i actually wrote it I started it on the day that I had IUI in Copenhagen so well I'd I'd had several other attempts at IUI but on the day that I conceived my daughter I started writing the novel and I sent it to agents a month I I, I literally waddled to agents offices (laughs) So yeah, it was nine months because it was it was just a month shy of me giving birth. (laughs) So (laughs)
0: brilliant! So that's how you spent your pregnancy, basically writing a book. Well, yeah,
1: I think it was. You know, obviously when you're pregnant, I was still working, but a lot of my like social life went out the window, and so I didn't. It's not like I had more time because obviously you're tired and stuff. But I also had a drive that I hadn't had or I had had previously but that was to like save money and all of that so I could try and conceive whereas once I'd conceived I was like right now I need to make the nest egg or do something that might change something and I suppose I never thought it might turn into a financial thing necessarily but I knew I wanted to write a book and I knew that time to do that might be in short supply once I had a child.
0: Interesting. It just made me think as well. I wonder if you'd had a partner, if that would have been possible because actually all of our free time, we can do what we want, can't we? So you spent that doing that. It would be interesting just to, um, yeah, it just dawned on me if you had a partner, maybe it would be a bit difficult.
1: There's a real thing of, which I didn't know about, but apparently a lot of women write thrillers (laughs) in their maternity leave this is like a phenomenon like obviously my book isn't a thriller it's more of a like a reflection on life and ro- and a romance but yeah a lot of people write thrillers when they're on their maternity leave which I think is really interesting and possibly that's also when their partner has gone back to work so yeah. <laughs> you know I don't know but I agree I don't know if I would have if I'd had a partner I, I don't know if I'd have done a lot of the things that I've done if I had a partner.
0: True. Always good to remember these small points, I think. Yeah. Great. So take us back to the beginning then. So what, like, what's the start of your journey? When did you decide to start trying on your own?
1: Well, I suppose it probably tracks back to about 2015, maybe slightly before that, just because I had been on an on, a, on and off relationship that just wasn't really working. And I also was just finding dating so difficult and I just suddenly had that oh if this is gonna happen what is the likelihood of me meeting someone to do it with Um, I was thinking I'd known the person that was on and off with for a really long time and for me personally it takes quite a long time for me to trust people and all of that stuff and I thought I'm never going to be in a position where I trust someone enough or know someone enough to get to the point of wanting to have a child with them. And I really would like to have a child, you know, I wanted to have a family. And so I started to look into it and it's really funny when I think back to how I did it, because I think I sort of did it like peripherally. Like it was never, I never went right now. I'm going to go and get pregnant. I was sort of like, just change I changed things uh, in my life without entirely admitting to myself that I was doing it like even like a Friday night like starting a spreadsheet of you know just that first I sort of remember that first google yeah like how do you do this or like Is this, I think, first of all, I really wanted to just do it at home. Like, is there a way I could just buy, buy the sperm and bring it home and just do it myself and not get involved with any, um, stuff. That's really interesting, actually, because
0: I've I forgotten about, you've actually just reminded me, I've never talked about that before. I did exactly the same. I was like, right, how do you just get it shipped to home? And yeah, do it? yeah I, funnily, I, I've, no, I've not thought about that for ages, uh, but suddenly they've stopped. Well, in the
1: UK, yeah, you're not
0: allowed to get it to get no. it home anymore. And I think you
1: could do that at the time, but then the more and more I looked into it, the more... I felt as though if I was going to be responsible, I mean, yeah. this is unfair because obviously you can be responsible and get it from someone that turns up. There's, you know, how anyone gets to parenthood is yeah. a completely personal thing, so it's no judgment. But just for me, I just realised that for feeling safe for me, for feeling safe for the child so that I could tell her, them where they came from and all of that stuff, I just felt I needed to go a particular route. Anyway, I suppose the next thing that sort of happened was I thought, well, I'd better go and get these tests that are required. Yeah. And by then, maybe that was like two or three years down the track. The real deciding factor, Mel, was actually I did a acting job. Right. And I was on tour and it was quite, a, it was a long tour and um, staying in digs and we were all you know going out after the theatre and stuff and it was just really interesting listening to some of the older actors about how they had had families and or how they felt about acting and still I felt like they were always like looking for the next job worried that this would be the last job and I just started to realise that possibly continuing down that route was gonna just keep delaying and delaying and I'd always been such I am a romantic and so I'd sort of like thought oh I'll meet the right person it'll just happen Mm. and I sort of had the revelation that it might not it might not be going to happen that way for me either either like creatively or romantically and i suddenly was okay with that and needed to strategize in another way yeah. whereas i think for nearly my entire 30s uh, and certainly my 20s i just always hoped or just thought if i'm positive enough or if i'm happy you know then it will come my way and believed in a lot of like the the law of attraction yeah. and all of that stuff and felt when it didn't work out for me that i was doing something wrong and when I made that decision, like even though, like I said, it was somewhere in the back of my head, I suddenly realised I felt a lot like lighter, and I felt a lot more positive. And I, and I thought, oh, I just suddenly feel freer. I don't have to meet the right person in the next six months because that's what I've been feeling like for years.
0: I think I just was listening to you thinking, gosh, it's so true because I felt exactly the same. And I think so many people who listen to this podcast and so many people who I coach just feel exactly the same. We're all romantics. We all think, oh, it's going to happen. And then it can just feel soul destroying when it doesn't. And if you can come to the sort of realization, this might not happen with knowing that that's not going to be the end of the world because actually there is an alternative and it might be different but it doesn't have to be worse but um i don't know we've grown up haven't we with all these films and and love stories we've been reading and it's hard to
1: disassociate with them yeah and it's um i mean it's funny that you use that phrase the end of the world because i obviously i wrote that book when i was pregnant and i i really wonder I mean, you know, it's obviously, it wasn't on purpose, but I'm just like, it's really interesting because even when I look at the characters that I'm made up, they're kind of, it, the, the the romantic characters like are two parts of my personality in a way. Right. It's quite interesting that I'm not, that I, I would say that I've sort of written this this sort of happy relationship and it's maybe a little bit more about myself. <laughs> yeah, this is quite interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, so then I I took a job in events to save because I'd been working freelance. They offered me this contract, and I was like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want a permanent contract. But I had spoken to a friend about the, a, a, a gay friend about the possibility of us co-parenting. Mm-hmm. And it became obvious that that wasn't the, wasn't the way that I wanted to do it and that I did want to go with a donor and, um, you know, go a more clinical route and talking to my parents uh, at that point, that was when I spoke to my parents after I'd spoken to a friend and about where I was at. And they were just like, sounds wonderful. Go for it. Brilliant. And, um... That's the thing. I just think it was like getting that endorsement, realising that even like doing it with a friend or whatever, having another person involved in whatever respect wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. And part of the reason for that though Mel is because I am a romantic. So part of it is I didn't want someone else involved because I still hope that at some point I will meet a partner. Yeah. I mean, I'm also okay with not, because I see lots of people thriving without that. But it, it is something I'm still hoping for. So it would be a mistake, I think, for me personally True. to have got involved.
0: It's Well, it just makes it a lot more complicated then later on, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, so many people, I, I'm exactly the same. I would love to meet someone, but I won't previously before i had my daughter i was i i remember specifically having the conversation with my mum to say i just feel like my life is you know what a disappointment or what a failure because i just haven't met this person and then from so much personal development so much reading so much um you know work on it I've I now I'm like I cannot believe I thought that because I've got so many people amazing people in my life and I've got such a brilliant life the fact that I've not got this one particular person that I fantasized about is is almost slightly irrelevant
1: yeah Um, and it is a and it is a different way of like looking at community and then even when you look at even like friends that are in relationships often express sort of jealousy or envy of my situation because it certainly isn't easy (laughs) to be in a relationship either and I also think it suits me like you I've traveled a lot on my own I like leading my own path I like my time to be my own as much I am gregarious but I'm an introvert so like I will partake in social situations and I love it but I really really need my time alone because otherwise I will just keep going and burn out yeah so but as far as like the next path was I was working in events and uh, like earning quite a lot of money which was like the whole aim
0: Brilliant. and
1: turning down some you know turning down some acting work which felt like a wrench but at the yeah. same time the aim was to save money. To have a child. At that point, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a boss woman, and I'm gonna stay in London, and I'm gonna have this baby, and you know, she'll go to nursery, and I'll go out and work in events. Anyway, (laughs) as soon as I got pregnant, I was very much like, Yeah, I cannot see how this is gonna work (laughs) in this tiny flat in central London. Yeah, and I think my parents were sort of aware of that already, and so it was within a few weeks of being pregnant that I put my flat on the
0: market.
1: Oh wow, so you made an um, immediate decision then. Yeah, and I was like, oh what am I gonna do without um my friends around me and all of that stuff. But my parents still live in the town that I grew up in. Right. And I sort of thought well, you know Cambridge, Norwich, I'll probably move to one of those places, but I'll sell my flat first and decide what to do and actually I've ended up living less than 10 minutes away from my parents in the town I grew up in, which I would have even just, you know, whilst I was pregnant, i was like, no, I'm, I'm not moving back there cause I've lived there for a long time. Yeah. But I don't know what I would do if I was further away from my parents. I mean, I suppose I would have to have another support system of some kind. And I think anybody that has children needs, another support system whether they've got a partner or not they need other mums or friends or neighbours that they can call upon in an emergency I just don't that's that's the one thing when people have contacted me about being a solo mum I'm like save as much money as you can Mm -hmm. and if you can free up money by you know moving out (laughs) of a a city if you can make your life closer to home which obviously the pandemic has done for a lot of people.
0: Yeah.
1: But like y- y- I think it would be really hard to be commuting uh, you know for an hour each way a day and have a small child whose uh, whose childcare <laughs> is something that you pay for rather than have a split childcare situation.
0: Yeah. If you were
1: paying for all the childcare how would I just It'd be very I'm hard.
0: sure I'm sure there are some people that do yes, it um, absolutely. But, I, but I just think it's not easy and um, there's definitely easier options oh yeah no I think I think that
1: people can definitely do it but I know that on my income it wouldn't have been possible yeah. and I think for a lot of people I mean obviously there's lots of people that have jobs that are high flying and can't afford to do that and then uh, it would I still would say you'd need a support system because it would still be definitely. difficult but I think For me, it looks like I've managed it really easily, but essentially I've changed everything in my life and got really lucky because I got a book deal just when the pandemic came and wiped out the events industry that I was working in.
0: Right, gosh, so that was really good timing.
1: Yeah, I mean, but but if I hadn't have sold my flat and sort of downsized to a, countryside I was gonna say regional um (laughs) had moved out of a metropolitan area like I wouldn't have been able to have weathered the last 18 months and and feel secure that I can continue if weddings etc or my book isn't successful At, at the moment I feel relatively secure financially which I think is really another thing that's really important yeah and I I do feel a bit bad when people have come t- contacted me about being a solo mum and I've said the two things I think are really important are knowing that you've got some personal support mm-hmm. and that you need to be prepared financially mm-hmm. in whatever that means for you mm-hmm. because I feel like sometimes there can be things that f- feel like a real reach as well especially if you're considering it as like a sort of the last sort of resort which sometimes happens like age-wise uh, especially as treatment that can be really expensive as well so I don't mean to be unsupportive when I say that to people but I also being pragmatic
0: yeah and 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 what you say is completely true but I but I also I think you've given some great advice so much advice so I, I think the that I love the thing that you said I mean, I don't love it, but I I think it's great advice that you're saying, look, if you've made the decision to do this, you've got to get yourself financially able to do it. Therefore, you may have to do work that you isn't your passion to save up. That's what essentially you did. So you have to make sacrifices in different places, don't you? So you did work that you probably wouldn't have done otherwise because it was the right finances. You moved to a place you perhaps might not have done otherwise um, because it made sense. So I do think people also need to get a bit creative sometimes and I do say that to them. And it is hard because, you know, I, I... am also feel like i'm in a really lucky position and i know others have got more of a you know a harder time financially and from a support network point of view, but it is thinking about what are all the things I could I can do. And I think if people are thinking way in advance, it's things like could I have a lodger, could I move in with my parents to just for a year and save the years as a friend? That sort of stuff, you know?
1: That's exactly it. So I did move in with my parents before I over the period that I gave birth. (laughs) So like give a whole Six months, which actually ended up being longer because it took ages to buy a house because of the pandemic, but I was staying in the granny annex of their house really? <laughs> for the time I wasn't with them during the beginning of the pandemic for those ten weeks, but they were just next door so even though I missed that support like physical support, I did know that if something happened and or if either of us got sick, that my parents were basically not through a wall down the end of the you know across the field essentially so i was really really lucky in so many respects i am aware of that but what you're saying about being creative is so true even on a daily basis (laughs) like i had to paint the front door the other day i didn't have to but i wanted to paint the front door and she didn't want me to obviously i don't want to close so you just make the room safe allow them to see you and I ended up putting up the baby gates in sort of like a a really funny way and had the window open but not enough so that she could So you know you you could see every angle I mean anybody else that's not what you think of when you paint a door but there's so many there's so many little strategic things you do to make it work.
0: That, that resonates with me so much because I do, I'm doing so much DIY and I'm constantly, today, I like, I wanted to paint my garage. So I went and set up Daisy this little like tea party with all of the toys outside so that she was like, she could see me, she was outside, she was entertained so that I could do it. It ended up with me painting it with her on my back so it didn't work. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are things that you can do and actually I was speaking to some of my friends who were saying Daisy plays really well on her own she's really good at creative yeah. play and they were saying uh, in a positive way with us when they're in a couple one of them is always sort of like if one wanted to paint the front door the other would look after their child yeah. and she was saying to me um it's perhaps quite positive that you can't always give your daughter the attention because you're trying to just live life at the same time because it makes them a little bit more independent because they, they know yeah. that they're not going to get so much attention all the time
1: yeah and that's like a it's a Montessori thing isn't it to like stand back and let them play but sometimes like in our position you don't have the choice the other thing I've always done which I know that you do too is to do the boring stuff while they're awake (laughs) yeah I make a game of it like even since she was tiny I've done like the washing and that like talk through the washing and doing the like cleaning the surfaces doing the washing up while they're awake those few hours that you have when they're asleep that you don't end up doing that stuff then I think
0: anything you can do while they're awake it's figuring it all out. So Daisy loves getting the washing out of the washing machine and hanging it on the airer. Airer, that's like, great. Right, yeah. Happy days! I'll outsource <laughs> that to you. Um, yeah, exactly. Because the the worst case scenario is that you come downstairs after bedtime routine and then you've got everything to do. It's like the more yeah. you can have done in the day, the better. And it's good for them. Is I really think it's good for yeah. them to like see and take part in household tasks.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, I would say the only thing is that with the uh, the freelance work that I'm doing at the moment. So my book deal is a two book deal. So I am in the middle of writing my second book. When it, it, everybody has an assumption, by the way, of uh, a, a book deal, you get a, an advance, but it's a, it's a minimal wage. Yeah, <laughs> till, yeah. Still, if it does well, you get royalties and all of that stuff. But right. Um, Yeah, so I'm writing at the moment, but that is essentially I'm writing. This is another juggle. Three afternoons a week because that's when my mum can do childcare. Right. And work. Then I work most evenings, but sometimes she doesn't go to sleep until late. It's it's a difficult thing I I didn't do sleep training with her for no other reason really than my mum didn't do it with me and that was the influence I had really yeah and sometimes I wonder (laughs) when she's not sleeping and I'm like oh I just wanted to write like 500 words I wonder if I should have done sleep training
0: and are you a morning person or are you a nighttime person
1: I'm a night bird right so if she doesn't go to sleep she generally doesn't wake up till later so I've never massively suffered with sleep deprivation um because if she goes to bed late she tends to wake up a bit later but if she doesn't go I don't I can't get any work done (laughs) if she and really to make it work I need to work at least three evenings a week
0: right
1: Um, so if she doesn't
0: what are we talking about when you say late
1: well, I think the latest is like 10, oh which gosh. is really late. You know, if I haven't got my words done, I need to get the, I need to finish a novel. It's like oh, 100,000 words. So wow. there's a lot of um, stuff to, to get out. But generally it works really well. Yeah, you figure it out. Yeah, and and you know... The novel is nearly written and I did write and edit another one with a small, you know, I edited the other one while she was small and yeah. editing is as hard, if not harder, than writing a first draft. Right. Because it, it's really rewriting. I mean, any author will tell you that basically uh, the first draft is the idea that right. what's good about it comes in the edits. Yeah, so I did that when she was small. I mean, I was back at my computer when she was a few weeks old. So,
0: I, to be to be fair, I was the same because although I have got a corporate job, I was starting the stork and I on my maternity leave, and so yeah, I was. I fully understand what you're saying because it was just like. I just need to, I don't know, record my podcast and if she won't go to sleep and I run a group coaching course once a week and it starts at eight. So I have to get her to bed by eight. And the, the like the pressure <laughs> I'm like, please yeah, I, and of course if you're stressing about it, it's not conducive for them actually going to sleep. Yeah. So um
1: whenever I'm like, I'm definitely gonna write tonight because I'd have a good afternoon writing and I want to carry on and try and get that done and then on Friday I can watch Gardener's World well and have a glass of wine. <laughs> you know it's, uh, Rock and Roll. I have to get it done, I have to get it done this Thursday. And then she's like, mm-mm-mm. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice thought, but no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they are
0: definitely like that, aren't they? Bless them. Yeah. But I think that the point is, and I, I totally I feel the same, like it's just a constant juggle, but it can you can figure it out and for me I don't know about you I feel like there's loads of trial and error so like oh okay it works better if I do this and try things and of course they change all the time as well so you just get into a routine and then
1: yeah and then and then it doesn't work yet. yeah think, yeah and she does let. Uh, I mean yeah my child Ruby definitely lets me know when she's not happy with the way that I'm doing things <laughs> yeah but I, I mean that's my general my general thing is I think it does work it can work for me I I know that I am really lucky to have such hands-on parents and also Ruby's relationship with her aunts and uncle in these last few months has been a lot more family support yeah um and that was also a real benefit of the sort of restrictions when they got changed to allow solo parents even to go for a walk with a friend yeah I felt quite lucky in lots of respects I felt bad for my friends that were in couples true they were stuck with each other <laughs> we could go out and meet people yeah, and they couldn't do that and I felt bad I felt a bit embarrassed like on my fortieth in November, I was like you know you were I was allowed to see my parents <laughs> and have a meal with them yeah. but you weren't allowed to do that if you know you, it's so i think it's um
0: swings and roundabouts isn't it
1: yeah well yeah but the, yeah obviously the beginning of the pandemic it, yeah we were really alone yeah. <laughs> and that was like Oh, I chose to be a solo parent, but...
0: I didn't actually mean solo, solo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, it was hard.
0: So what was your... You said you had IUI, is that what you said?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. For the reason that I thought I'd try to do it the most natural way that I could. I certainly wasn't against uh, further intervention. It's just that uh, I had it in Denmark, For the reason that it was, when I did the maths, it worked out a lot cheaper, even with the travel and the way that my work was working at the time didn't actually work out like that, but it was flexible. Right. Then obviously I took a full time contract, it became less so, so it wasn't so easy, but it was still getting a positive ovulation test, booking a flight for the next day and going (laughs) and coming back which I read about actually I think it was one of the few online articles I could find when I was first investigating was about journalists that conceived her child by flying in a day I mean I I, it's funny now because my publicist has been pitching articles with either like being solo mum etc and and the papers are like oh I've got loads of solo mums but I was like well that's great, but when I was looking <laughs> oh, it? It, was yes. it was like two articles. Yeah. And then when I was pregnant, Genevieve Robert's book came out and that was like a real boon. And then after that I found you like I didn't realize there was such an online community and I'm not even sure that there was was there really when I was no
0: it was definitely in the very early stages I think yeah yeah so you went to Denmark and then how many times did you have to um... yeah
1: it was my fifth attempt
0: oh wow yeah
1: so I had but I only had four goes because one time I went thinking well I haven't ovulated yet but I will do and you know I went and I had a scan and they were like yeah you're just not you're not ovulating this month I mean it's just it was so it's been such a fascinating process I mean I'm so um, curious about the human body anyway yeah and I just found it so fascinating but I also just realized how little they teach us about our is unbelievable we're all like nobody
0: has this knowledge I've learned so much that I yeah. do not know Yeah.
1: and, and they even talking to I remember talking to the girls in the office that I was working at the time I was like it was like even like saying that the morning after pill is like pointless after day 14 and it's just kind of mad that they just don't ever talk about that people don't think about their ovulation until they're trying to conceive and even then lots of people don't like they're like I've been trying for a year and you discover that they've only been having sex like you know at the wrong time and all that stuff no
0: definitely a lot to improve for our children's generation to learn properly about stuff and how things work and um yeah understanding our bodies more for for sure so fifth time and were they all in Denmark yeah they were
1: all in Denmark I used two different donors because like first time so I bought one obviously I bought one straw to start off with because I was like oh obviously I'm just gonna get pregnant on (laughs) the one and then his he wasn't available yeah I'm actually really pleased in that (laughs) because I then went with another one that had had pregnancies and because the other one hadn't and I was like and yeah and I chose an open donor that was like after the sort of therapy stuff that I had there um, over the phone, actually, on Skype with them. Um, and what
0: does it, what does it, so in Denmark, is that that your daughter will get the details when she's 18? 18. I mean,
1: it's definitely the law in the UK that donors have to be open. But in, I, I, I wouldn't have had to have used an open donor in Denmark. And then how was your pregnancy? I mean, I was 39 and a little bit overweight already. And it was really hard. And she was a big baby. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was really heavy. And I then also was aware of why people say that it's harder when you get older. <laughs> Which yeah. um, and you can't tell because I wasn't younger when I was pregnant. And maybe it would have been hard <laughs> too. But it yeah. did feel, it felt, it felt very hard work. And I was lucky I wasn't sick. Um, so I could keep working but the commute <laughs> was yeah. so
0: hard <laughs> yeah and you so you were you had a contract whilst you
1: were um... yeah I had a contract but actually it was ended just maybe two weeks before and um, not renewed two weeks before the IUI that I actually had my where I got pregnant Right. so I sort of maybe have a little bit of Thinking well, maybe I got pregnant that time because I wasn't doing that job because it was so stressful. And it was only two weeks after, but then I took on another contract in another events company, and I actually handed in my notice at six months because I decided to move out of London. And actually, there's something you said earlier. I also Airbnb would my spare room whilst, uh... so this was another source of income. Yeah. So I was lovely. really going for it. I was just like any and anything that anybody offered like any copywriting stuff anything I was just like yeah yeah I'll take it up bring it
0: on yeah. yeah I think that's such a good uh, mindset to get into um because th- there are opportunities if, y- if you're like right I'm gonna do everything I know somebody who was a teacher and then at the same time was a nanny so Absolutely, after school yeah. she went to the people's house she nannied for, nannied. So then she had free accommodation and the income from two jobs. I mean, she must've been exhausted, <laughs> but she, yeah. she was like, this is what
1: I'm, is what I'm doing because- it, Yeah, it is that single-mindedness yeah. that hadn't been ready for previously. I think that's why the journey to it took me such a long time. It was partly the holding out for a hero. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and partly not being ready to make the sacrifices to I mean of course like you say not everybody has to make those sacrifices yeah. but for me I had I was living in London which is difficult to get by even if you've got a really good job anyway and I've been working in the arts which mm. you know even though I'd, I, I was lucky that I'd tried earlier on to su- supplement my acting career by Having a shop. So I it allowed me to buy a flat and things like that. You know, I, I basically took out a loan when I was much younger than many of my friends would have considered doing that. Yeah. And that that did set me up to be able to do what I did and perhaps also had trained me to be diversify. Yeah. But I had to knock the acting on the head to a certain extent in order to try for a baby. And then I suppose the creativity couldn't be entirely STEMied. So I started writing.
0: Yeah. Um, and have you given thought to sort of like what the future holds, or are you just going to keep on sort of seeing what comes in and paving the way a bit?
1: Yeah, seeing what comes in. I mean, the the way that the book has been responded to like even in the way that it was received by agents at the very beginning and then publishers has been a surprise and something that I've never really experienced creatively before, like it hasn't, that hasn't happened in any of my acting work really. I mean the only time I can think of it is like when I was making some short films and I was contacted by Dave from Blur, you know the drummer <laughs> from Blur, he, <laughs> he, he saw my um, Indiegogo and contacted me and said I'd love to do the music for this and I was like oh, but oh, it's, wow. like, That's yeah, cool. it's like a weird, one of those weird things that you like can't believe is happening to yeah, you love it. but that, that is what has happened with the book. Right. and it does feel as though it could be a career changer like it might not be work to be my entire income but if you establish yourself as a writer then there might be other opportunities for writing which is something that although it takes your concentration is a little bit more flexible around a child.
0: Yeah, than... particularly I think as she gets older, and it's, it's yeah. these nursery years that are difficult, isn't uh, it? When yeah. school starts, it's all is a little bit easier because if you've got a job that can be flexible, then yeah. sc- you can do it around school. It's it's cool. these early years that I think are really tough.
1: But then again, you know, I do have the events thing in my back pocket.
0: Yeah,
1: and yeah i've i've done weddings for hundreds of people and and corporate events as well and i just feel like those things happen in east anglia as much as maybe not some of the corporate events but a lot of them still happen in east anglia as much yeah. as they happen in london so hopefully you know I've, I've always worked it out this this far and I hope that I'll still be able yeah, to do that. For sure.
0: I would imagine there's a backlog of people wanting to get married all
1: over the country. Yeah, so
0: um, there should be no shortage of that. And I love talking about moving actually because I just, more and more people, I feel like are sort of opening their eyes to the possibility. And I have to say, I really resonate with what you said because I was like, I would never live in Southport. I will I literally wouldn't have considered it. It never crossed my mind. I, I it wasn't like I thought, Oh, would this be a good idea? No. I literally didn't even think about it because it was such a of course I wouldn't move yeah. like there. Um, and it was the I have got COVID to thank for that actually but two things COVID and also I read the book um, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle How did you, and it's all about ego and then I realized mm, this is massively my ego telling me that I don't want to move because in my mind as well as Being a romantic and wanting to meet, you know, and have my happily ever after, I also want to live somewhere quote unquote trendy. And that, funnily enough, since I've moved here, there's lots of really cool places and there's lots of cool people. And yeah, it was totally a story I'd made up that it wasn't a a cool, whatever that even means, place to live. But the benefits, oh, I can't even tell. Like, I mean, you'll know, it's just so good. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: mean, the house that I have. Bought is, I just you could I would never ever have been able to afford that in London. Yeah. Yeah. So before you even st- like I downsized in theory, but my house like three times as big. Yeah, downsized <laughs> money gone. wise, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, obviously, that's still talking from a ridiculously privileged position.
0: Yeah,
1: I like I am so lucky. However there are lots of people that feel as though they can't make things work in London that maybe, or, or Manchester or <laughs> central mm. Leeds or, or, or Glasgow or Edinburgh. There's yeah. n- there are any big city is much more expensive than when you get out to the countryside. But of course, like you say, there are so many advantages to it, but there is also difficulty with certain types of work. Yeah. I am aware of that. True. Um, at the moment with COVID for lots of people they can live further away but it would have been hard for me and like I say I could probably establish something myself here but if I worked for a company if I hadn't have been so much of a events manager
0: yeah true it
1: would be a different thing but then that is something to do with age as well I guess that because I have got more like experience i think one of the things though is if people did i saw that you said that like when you looked at a property or when you looked at right move or whatever it was for me that was it i was just like oh let's just see you then <laughs> like, yes. going on about it and i was just like what <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'll just make it. an offer now <laughs> yeah, yeah. um the difference in price that can be from uh, a city to a, a small town and also we do need to sort of like get out of the cities to a certain extent and for quality of life and all of all of that stuff and there's loads of parts of the UK that aren't being lived in really yeah, at the yeah. moment as well.
0: And it's not as if you can't go back <laughs> like I you know we yeah. actually at the weekend we're going uh, back to Manchester for the day and seeing friends and doing some City Stuff, so yeah, it's not as if you can never go and uh, visit
1: yeah, but I suppose it is it is that thing of like I, I mean I, I know how lucky I am, but I, it is again that compromise actually maybe turning out well as well, like yeah. I think that is something that I'm yeah much happier than I had ever thought that I would be yeah. in having a child by myself but also moving out of London suits me much more than i realized and sometimes you can't see what's good for you
0: yeah isn't that interesting because i am exactly the same i feel the i feel really content and um and and happy and it was almost more through circumstance that it happened and the um i i I think what you said i also feel the same and i've kind of forgotten that actually i wouldn't have been able to move previously because i had to going to London for work. And it's only through the pandemic where I was like, oh, I don't actually need to go to London anymore. (laughs) Um, So it it makes you a lot more flexible. But what you said is so true. Some people haven't got that flexibility. It depends what your job is. But I think my point is, I think I totally agree with you. We are very lucky that we've got the option of moving. We've got the option of the support from our parents. But the, the point is more around what are people's options and then what's the right decision in that? Because I know lots of people aren't in the position to live near to parents or haven't got their parents around or their parents don't want to help or whatever it might be. But, you know, um, I know people who are live, who've moved closer to siblings, um, or closer to old school friends or whoever it might be or um, have just got to start setting up a support network wherever they are which is totally possible and I think some sometimes I think I probably get a bit lazy now with that because I've got all my family here so in Manchester I worked a lot harder at building a support network so i know it's possible to do because i didn't have them so close whereas here i feel like i'm probably being a bit lazy because i but but
1: you you have moved relatively recently i mean one of of the friends that that i've made back here i made through instagram (laughs) because i yeah i've been following her for a while and then i recognized somewhere that she posted and i was like Hang on. Do so you live <laughs> she, near me? <laughs> yeah. I did not stalk her, but you know, we bumped into each other. I was like, I follow you on Instagram. Brilliant.
0: So, Instagram is like the new dating apps for friends I, because um at the weekend I met up with a girl who I met through Instagram. And yeah, then it's just like, yeah, that's how I source my
1: friendships nowadays, seems Instagram. Well, I, I admit, of course, a really great, I mean, as much as I do have you know, a physical support system. I have also made friends on the internet during the pandemic. And of course that come that has its pros and cons. But there is definitely, as we were talking about before, like this there is a whole solo parent um support system thing growing on the internet with people like yourself. Like I know there's more on Facebook I don't spend that much time on Facebook, but I I know there's a lot of groups on Facebook. And I think if you're looking into becoming a solo parent, it can be massively overwhelming, which is why something like your coaching, I'm sure would be a better option in a smaller environment.
0: Yeah. Whereas
1: once you've had a child, you understand a little bit more what people are talking about. Because there is like jargon yeah. and, you know, hashtags that you wouldn't necessarily understand. and They just sound a bit, scary but yeah. it's just like any any sort of like in a room at a party you're probably gonna befriend three or four people you can't yeah. get on with everyone
0: no um, exactly but the, the support you can get from the Soliumum community i think it's fantastic because straight away when i speak to people you've got stuff in common with them even if you haven't got things outside being a solo mum in common there's so much like commonality of understanding some of the things that you are working with that that sort of I feel yeah people
1: the experience of it but also how we got there I think is I mean obviously some people get there for different reasons but there are a large number of us that have sort of come to the realization yeah that it was the only option and then realized
0: oh it's the best option yeah so I true so true it. yeah definitely so um what advice would you have for people who are listening who are freelance that are currently considering solo motherhood what is your sort of like top tips
1: i think it is about not necessarily um nest egg, uh, but you need to sort of like amass a certain amount and all financial advice people would say to plan for the worst scenario. Yeah. And I do think that that is the, I mean, obviously I didn't see the pandemic coming, but if I hadn't have moved out of London, I don't really know what I'd have done, but I was sort of thinking about other things that could happen. Like if I wasn't going to be well in the end of the pregnancy and all sorts of things like that. So as it happens, you don't know what's coming, but you can prepare for yeah. a certain amount of stuff happening that you can't foresee. Um, I would say that you do need to make certain sacrifices. Yeah. Like I would much rather, you know, lie on the couch and uh, watch TV most evenings, but, <laughs> um, and some evenings I do, uh, yeah. but I'd have to work at night when other people have finished their work often but I suppose the main piece of advice is to not think it's impossible
0: <laughs> yeah true um, that
1: it is possible and obviously everybody's story is different but if I on a, a relatively low income but with great parental support can make it work yeah then I think a lot of people that have had proper jobs <laughs> um <laughs> will we, we'll be able to particularly as with a certain amount of stability they can plan a little bit better um yeah. and that's the thing as a freelance person that you need to be thinking you need to do the planning that you would be able to do if you had a monthly income um,
0: yeah. i forgot to like, ask you how long did you have any time off
1: on maternity? Um, really, sort of... really very little. Right. Um I I had I had Ruby uh, at the beginning of December and before I think I got another draft in just in uh, at the beginning of January. Wow. So I'd revised the draft um twice by the time it was submitted in March. So she wasn't even three months old. We went to London we went to London with her when she was yeah, just under three months old to sell the book. And by then I'd rewritten it twice with my agent. Wow. So, no. So I
0: <laughs> suppose that's in, do you feel like that is a sacrifice?
1: Yes, it is, I suppose. But at the same time, when she's that small, is probably the best time to do it. Definitely. It, it, as, as she's grown, it's much harder to give my time to it. Even like as far as how much she naps now. Yeah. And how hard it is to get to sleep in the evening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose one of the things would be if you need to work in the evenings, maybe you should sleep chain your child. But I didn't do that and it <laughs> yeah. still works. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much. I think it will be so helpful to so many who are in a similar circumstance. And I think it's just really reassuring for people to, to hear you say it's possible you can you can work it out. Yes, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Mel. Lovely to be here.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of the Stalk and I podcast, I'd hugely appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe. I look forward to seeing you again next week.